I don't know about you, but nothing gets me going like a Denzel Washington thriller. And one of those thrillers is Man on Fire. Anybody seen Man on Fire 2004? I mean, it was almost 20 years ago. I mean, you want to feel old. And Denzel Washington uh, in this uh, movie plays a bodyguard. He plays a bodyguard to this nine-year-old girl. The father of this little girl, he's a wealthy automaker, and he thinks that there's a possibility that someone could kidnap his daughter and then hold her ransom in order to take advantage of him, and then the person who kidnapped his daughter would get rich in the process. That's what he's afraid of. So he hires Denzel. Denzel's been a bodyguard for years. He was a bodyguard as a Marine, then he was a bodyguard as a civilian. And when Denzel signs this contract, he thinks, man, this is going to be an easy gig compared to what I did in the Marines and what I've done as a civilian for the military. He thinks it's going to be minimal and danger, but he was wrong. This little girl would need his protection more than he'd ever imagined. And boy, if you watch this movie, it'll get you fired up. Protection from danger. Another movie in Lion King, a little different. You've got Simba and Simba's flanks. And hilariously protected by Pumbaa and Timon. Protection from danger. Aslan protects the people of Narnia and he dies in the process. Protection from danger. See, protection and danger, they're not just a theme in the movies, but they're a theme in the movies because of the way they get to us. Because all of us, we're trying to negotiate danger and protection all the time. And you think back to COVID. We quarantined, we wore masks, all for protection. When I look at my, all my different financial things that happen every month, the thing that gets me is like, man, a lot of insurance going on around here. Why do we have insurance? Because we're afraid of danger and we need protection. Then you have this whole cultural issue of police brutality and defunding the police and no matter what side you're on or where you fall in the middle of that, you say, man, it really is all of us. We're, we're, we're feeling danger and we want protection. And so in addition to all these dynamics of protection and danger, there's this ever-present spiritual dynamic that's laid out in the scriptures. And what the scriptures do is they lay out this, the, the, this, this kind of three-headed monster, this, these three dangerous forces that co-conspire to take us out. And here are the forces. There's Satan, there's our sinful nature, and then there's the world. And by the world, what the scripture means is the broken orders and systems that promote death instead of life. See, listen to these passages. Listen to this one about Satan. It's 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, Peter uses this metaphor of a, a lion for Satan because lions are dangerous. And even though you don't have real lions hunting you down, Satan is. And so we need protection. You've got your sinful nature. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And when Paul uses the flesh, he doesn't mean your physical body. What he means is your sinful nature. And your sinful nature is embedded into your soul. And it makes us view the world through our own lens that we seek out what's best for you at the expense of what's good for your neighbor and what glorifies God. And what Paul is saying here is that your flesh is so dangerous that it'll kill you. You've got the world. 
Jesus in John 15, verses 18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, and because I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, what Jesus is talking about here is that the systems of the world, they don't just misunderstand him, that they were hostile to him, so hostile that they ended up putting him to death. And so if that's what they did to Jesus, if that's what the orders and systems of the world did to Jesus, and that's what it'll do to us too. See, the hate of the world is dangerous. And so you see, you see how you need protection, right? In Psalm 16, the psalm we're looking at today, it deals with this whole matter of protection and danger, and it has a lot to teach us. So let's read it together. Psalm 16, verse 1 says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out for their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart instructs me. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. This whole psalm is about David feeling threatened. You see it right there in verse one, don't you? David is in danger and he needs protection and that's why he uses that word preserve. Preserve. Preserve is a word that means to set a hedge around something and it's often translated not just as preserve but also as keep or guard. We see it used in Exodus 23 and Psalm 91 to talk about how angels protect God's people. You see it in Numbers and Leviticus to talk about how the Levites were in charge of protecting the Ark of the Covenant. You've got this word in our benediction that I say every week, may the Lord bless you and keep you, preserve. Psalm 31 says that God keeps his people like a shepherd keeps his flock. Shepherds keep their sheep, protect them. Psalm 17 says that God keeps us as the apple of his eye. And so when you put all this together, you get a sense of what David is asking from God, don't you? What David's asking from God is that he's saying, I'm vulnerable, you're powerful, keep me safe. But then he takes it a little further in verse one. He says, for in you I take refuge. He's saying God is his hiding place. It's where he goes for protection when he is in danger. So when you have this word refuge, I mean, in my mind, uh, things like underground bunkers and bomb shelters and invisibility cloaks come to mind. That's what I think of when I think of refuge, especially invisibility cloaks. It's an amazing superpower, isn't it? I mean, it allows you to go anywhere undetected. It seems like in some ways it's the best protection possible. You see it in several of our stories. You see it with Frodo. 
Frodo used it in Lord of the Rings to stay safe. You've got it in The Incredibles. Little girl Violet uses it. You see it in The Invisible Woman and The Fantastic Four. She can take her, make herself invisible or she can project invisible forces around others. Then there's the goat, Harry Potter. Harry Potter has an invisibility cloak. And what does it allow for? It allows for refuge. It allows for protection. And so this first verse, this first verse, verse one, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. This is the backdrop to the whole rest of the psalm. And so you, to understand this whole psalm, you've got to see yourself as someone who's vulnerable. You've got to be afraid of Satan. You've got to be afraid of your sinful nature. You've got to be afraid of the world in order for this psalm to make sense. Otherwise, if you, if, if, if you don't see yourself in this way, you'll never pray like this. Because here's what's going to happen. Satan's never going to come to you frontally and say, hey, I'm Satan and I'm here to ruin your life. That's not what Satan does. What Satan does is Satan begins to co-conspire with the others. He co-conspires with your sinful nature and he tries to convince you that you never need to apologize for anything. He tries, to, he tries to come to you, your sinful nature, and try to tell you you never need to forgive anybody. Satan comes to your sinful nature and tries to convince you that you don't need healthy authority in your life. See, what Satan's trying to do is he's trying to isolate you. He's trying to get you to live in bondage to your shame and your guilt. And then Satan takes the orders and systems of this world and he makes our world increasingly more divided. He moves our public discourse from being something that's civil where we agree to disagree to something that's more like cancel culture. So you see, I could go on and on and on. But when you come to grips with the reality of these three forces on your life, you will begin to throw on your invisibility cloak and you're gonna begin, begin to call out for your bodyguard and say, preserve me. In verses 2 to 10, you begin to see what the psalmist does once he throws on his invisibility cloak. You see it in verse 2. Notice all these things that he rehearses. Verse 2, he finds pleasure in the Lord. Verse 3, he finds pleasure in God's people. Verse 4, he notices the miserable plight of the godless. Verses five and six, he accepts his God-ordained plight. Verses seven and eight, he glories in God's nearness to him. So you see what's going on here, don't you? David's preaching to himself. He's rehearsing truth to himself over and over and over. But that's not what I do when I feel vulnerable. That's not what I do when I'm in danger. Here's what I do when I'm in danger. I start rehearsing all of my problems. I start going over all of my wounds and I begin to think things like, you know, the reason my life is so hard is because God didn't do X. My parents didn't do Y. My church didn't do Z and my government didn't do A, B or C. Now, some of these things might be true when I'm thinking them to myself. And some of these things might need to be addressed. But you got to see what's going on in Psalm 16. See, in Psalm 16, what inspires David to write this is very likely the fact that he's running for his life. 
It's very likely that King Saul's hunting him down. And the reason King Saul's hunting him down is that Saul feels threatened. He feels threatened by David. David's charismatic. He's talented. And in Saul's mind, David is gunning for his seat on the throne. So David likely pins this psalm while he's sitting in a cave somewhere. Notice what David doesn't say. He doesn't complain about Saul. But he does do something. (laughs) You see it? I mean, he sets his thoughts on the Lord. He preaches to himself. And there's a certain discipline about preaching to yourself. You hear it in statements in the Psalms like, or in this Psalm, like, I say to the Lord, the Lord is my chosen portion. I bless the Lord. I've set the Lord always before me. See, those are the things you do when you take refuge. And let me tell you, this isn't some positive thinking exercise. This isn't some kind of Tony Robbins baloney. This is truth. This is truth about the God who's alive and he's changing us. But maybe this morning, maybe when you're having a hard time, it's really hard for you to believe that God's alive. It's really hard for you to believe that God is changing you. Maybe you'd say to me, you say, Marsh, I don't have it in me to preach to myself. I'm so weak. I'm so hurt. I'm so dull. I need someone else to remind me of the truth. And that's okay. David's been there before. That's why he calls the saints in the land in verse 3, the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. See, David had realized firsthand the, the glory of gospel fellowship, the value of it. So if you need someone to preach to you, just call me. I'm kidding in some ways. If you need someone to preach to you because you so are so hurt and weak and dull, it's okay. Just ask for a fellow brother or sister. If you can call them every morning and say, hey, will you just read me Psalm 16 on my way to work? <laughs> we read Ephesians 1 or Psalm 139 or Romans 8 to me. I need to hear a good sermon. Otherwise, I'm just going to rehearse my own problems to myself over and over and over again. If that happens, something's going to happen to you. (laughs) The same thing that happened to David. Look at verse 9. In verse 9, it starts out with a therefore at the beginning of the verse. And that therefore is in effect saying to us, David is saying, because I've preached this sermon to myself, because I've said all these things that are true in verses 2 to 8 to myself, something has now happened to me. And that's something that's happened to David is joy. Because he's marched all kinds of truth out in front of himself, it's worked him up into a song in verses 9 to 11. I mean, you feel the momentum building in verses 2 to 8, don't you? In verses 2 to 8, it's like David's down there cranking the engine. He's on the runway gaining steam. And in verses 9 to 11, he soars and he bursts with delight and security that comes with that delight. You feel it when he says, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh dwells secure. You will not abandon me. I will not see corruption. You've shown me the path to life. I've had joy in your presence. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Glee, dripping with glee. See, for the psalmist, he's made significant moves, hasn't he? I mean, verse 1, he's saying, preserve me. I feel insecure and vulnerable and afraid. And now he's moved to this string of passionate acclamations of being attached to God. 
Is that what your relationship with God is like? Are there times when you just can't help but sing? You might say, well, Pastor, listen, I'm just not a very emotional person. It's not really me. I, I do this Christian thing because it's true. It's cognitively coherent and it provides answers to where the world came from and why we're here and how the world works and where things are headed. That's why I'm a Christian. I hear you, you're right, but what if God is more than that? And also, what if you are more than just a thinking person who gives cognitive assent to things? Maybe you're not this kind of thinker. This whole emotional thing, all these words like David is using here, they make you nervous. You're saying something different. You're saying, Pastor, you're mixed up with all this feeling stuff you don't understand. Christianity is about morality. It teaches us the best way to live and behave in the world. And I hear you and you're right. Christianity does provide for us an ethic. But what if it's more than that? What if it's more than something just to live out? See, God is a person, and if you had a person who protected you like God does, you wouldn't be able but to be affected by the person. I mean, if you watch that Denzel Washington movie, Man on Fire, can you imagine the little nine-year-old girl not having some kind of emotional attachment to her bodyguard who saved her life? See, if, 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 if you, in other words, you would, have, you would have a love for the person who protected you. Your love would know no bounds because of the protection that this person provided. See, brothers and sisters, God has provided that protection for you and he will continue to do so. Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So what David's saying here is he's saying, I'm not going to let, what God is saying through David is, is he's saying, I'm not going to let anything or anybody or even death get between me and you. See, that's how fiercely passionate God is for you. See, God sent his prized possession, his beloved son, Jesus Christ, to the earth at great cost to himself that he might have you. And more than that, today what he's doing is he's fending off Satan. He's fending off the world. He's fending off your, even your sinful nature from striking you with a mortal blow. And when you at a heart level begin to see God's lavish, sacrificial, protective love for you, then God will be someone more than someone you simply give cognitive assent to. He'll be someone more that you see than just a way of life. God will become the love of your life. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here who feel like it would be impossible to have prayers like my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh dwells secure. Lord, I pray that you would give them great comfort this morning. Lord, I pray for those of us who feel so dull inside. Lord, I pray you would make us aware of the great danger it's around us at every corner. Lord, that we might call out to you and see your protection in real life. Lord, we thank you for the psalm and more importantly for Jesus.
We pray these things in your name. Amen.